Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 300. Not really a show for kids, but hey, I'll take the applause. No Pepsi and Jaeger for you guys. Actually, not to be a downer, but the 300th episode probably already passed by a while ago. If you take into consideration all the specials and unnumbered shows I've published in the past. But hey, this is still the 300th numbered episode, right? <clears throat> right? <laughs> Little shits. Anyway, let's do this. So as I stated last week, I want to celebrate the 300th episode of The Week in Doubt by going all the way back to the beginning and giving the inaugural episode a listen. I thought it would be interesting to see how much the show and I have changed or haven't over the years. So let's begin. Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli. Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Week in Doubt. Oh my god, listen to how quiet, how quiet my voice is. I remember when I first started the show, you know, I had experience singing in a band and recording uh, demos and studios and stuff, but no experience really just talking into a mic. And to be honest, that was so long ago, what, five or six years now, that I, I can't really tell you if that was nerves or me intentionally trying to put on some NPR voice because I, I wasn't sure how to speak into a, into a mic and communicate to an audience, you know? And uh, I don't know if it's for better or worse, but I've definitely taken on a more kind of casual tone over the years. A podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And I really want to emphasize the whoever because I don't want this podcast to seem exclusive, or at least not too exclusive. I'd like it to be not just for fellow non-believers, but for people of a philosophical bent in general, the intellectually curious, etc. And I'll say in fairness to my younger self there, younger by five or six years, that the mission statement still holds true. I really mean what I say in the tagline. This is meant to be a show for not just atheists, but also agnostics and whoever. And I don't really want to get sidetracked right now by going into the overlap between atheist and agnostic and trying to parse out the differences between the terms, etc. I may even touch on that in this inaugural episode. I know I used to talk about that a lot early on in the show. And as far as the audio quality goes, I think not only am I speaking much more softly, um... But also, you know, I've been using the same mic, this Blue Yeti microphone, since the very beginning of the show. And I think maybe, you know, I, I tested, I kind of cheated with, on my Yeti with other mics here and there, fleetingly. But for the most part, it's been me and this Blue Yeti since day one. But it took me a while to learn how to properly use it. It's what they call a side address microphone. And you're basically supposed to position it vertically and speak right into the side of, you know, the filter or whatever. But I used to uh, tilt it towards me. I was used to singing in a band and holding a microphone and singing into the top of it. Not really what you're supposed to do. And the audio quality suffered for a long time. As you could probably surmise from the title, my basic goal is to cover topical issues. I wonder if I can recreate that affect or that voice or whatever. 
As you can probably surmise from the title, my goal is to talk about topical issues. <laughs> I actually, I like the word topical. Why did that fall out of my vocab? You know, I have to admit it though. I think there's a part of me that actually kind of likes that voice. I almost feel like maybe I've grown too comfortable in my own skin regarding sitting in front of this microphone. And I've kind of turned into a, a New England wise-ass. And in comparison, you know, there was something very kind of soft and calm, maybe even respectful, about that voice or tone I was using in the early days of the show that have to do with religion, atheism, and then basically elaborate with my own philosophical take on things. Before I move on to any of the aforementioned topical issues, I should probably give a brief introduction to my own religious views or lack thereof and how they developed. I'm always a little hesitant to label my beliefs. On the one hand, I think maybe I just have a healthy aversion to labels because I know they can be constricting. And on the other hand, I think it's because of that strange overlap between the terms atheist and agnostic. Told ya. I believe it was T.H. Huxley, a man who was known as Darwin's bulldog due to his strong stance in defense of the idea of natural selection, who coined the term agnostic. I'm a fan of Penn Jillette, and I remember listening to him recently, and he had described the word agnostic as a kind of weasel word, meaning a nicer, softer, more palatable way of saying atheist. I think most of us tend to think of agnostic as referring to someone who claims to not be sure whether or not there's a god, and an atheist is someone who claims that there is no god. But I don't think it's that clear-cut. In fact, I'm trying to think of the staunchest atheists out there. Maybe people like the new atheists, uh, people who I admire, like the late Christopher Hitchens, um, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris. Ado, on the other hand, I'm already starting to get sick of that soft voice. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to fall asleep. But, wow, yeah, for some reason it kind of caught me by surprise that... I can't believe all time's flying by that I've been doing this show for five or six years or whatever. And Hitchens passed away before I started. That's so crazy. And it makes sense because, as I've mentioned numerous times on the show, originally I actually wanted to write a book. And I did write about ten chapters. And it was basically just going to be a kind of hybrid book, part autobiographical and also partly just me espousing my personal philosophy, my personal worldview. And the autobiographical parts were going to be regarding my journey towards becoming a non-believer. I actually read a few chapters from that book and uh, turned that into an episode of the show. I, I forget which episode number it is, but it's out there somewhere. Oh man, did you hear that plane? Some kind of cargo cult receiving a delivery... Uh, yeah, but anyway, um, that book was going to be dedicated to the memory of Christopher Hitchens. So yeah, uh, he passed away before I even began the podcast, man. And um, I think all of them have more sense than to actually claim that they know 100% that there is no God. I think it's more the case, and I'll include myself here, Oh, man, now that soft voice is really starting to creep me out. 
And there's an early example of my famous shoddy editing. I do think my editing skills have improved over the years, uh, but not as much as I would like. But hey, you know, we'll check in again in another six years. <laughs> that an atheist is someone not who claims to know 100% that there isn't a god, but who tends to think that religions are man-made belief systems and they doubt the existence of God because the empirical evidence just doesn't seem to be there and the supernatural claims of, of various world religions don't really seem to pass muster. And I think that's where the overlap lies. Um, neither an atheist nor an agnostic would claim to know for certain whether there was or wasn't a god. We may tend to think of an agnostic as someone who's more open-minded than um, that stereotype many people have as, of the smug, um, stubborn atheist. But in reality, there is that overlap. So I suppose I kind of fit both definitions. On the one hand, I don't claim to know for certain whether there is or isn't a god. But on the other hand, I certainly doubt his, her, or its existence. And this is interesting, and I actually remember this. When I first started this show, I wasn't sure what the proper label for myself was. Um, someone with my particular worldview. And I remember... One of my very first subscribers on YouTube, I think his name might have been like Denver Chris or something like that, but uh, a really nice guy, and he was actually the first one to turn me on to the label agnostic atheist, because he kept hearing me saying on the show how I wasn't sure if I should refer to myself as an atheist or, or an agnostic. And it is true that either definition probably worked for me. But I do think, you know, if you were to kind of back me into a corner and, and force me to give you a label for my particular worldview, I think the most correct or apt one would probably be agnostic atheist. You know, knowledge claim versus belief claim. The Greek word gnosis has to do with knowledge or knowing. I don't think, at least at this time, I don't know if the human race will ever be capable of knowing. We can't really, I don't think we can know definitively whether or not a higher power actually exists. And yet, personally, due to what I see as a lack of evidence, I, I do personally doubt the existence of a higher power, an afterlife, etc. Ergo, I guess I'd be happy being labeled, or at least relatively comfortable being labeled either an atheist or an agnostic. But I guess if I was to choose a label for myself, I would simply refer to myself as a non-believer. It's, uh... And that's interesting, too, because I, I often still refer to myself as a non-believer. And I, I do kind of like that word because it gets across the point that you don't really buy into the faith claims of religion or anything like that, or you're skeptical. And yet, and I want to be really honest about this, I, I think the word atheist has been very unfairly demonized. And I guess a fringe benefit of using a word like non-believer is that it essentially means the same thing for the most part, but... 
it doesn't carry as much baggage with it, or it's not as loaded as the term atheist. And I actually feel bad saying that or admitting that. Uh, I think that's not my only reason for having an affinity for the the label non-believer, but certainly is a fringe benefit. But as I was saying, I really do think that the word atheist has been unfairly demonized. And some, you know, Christians out there with a persecution complex might not agree with me. Um, They might see this threat of a society that's becoming ever more secular. And in some sense, that might be true. And yet I still think that generally atheism or atheist does remain a kind of dirty word. At least in my personal experience, there's nothing that throws a wet blanket on a conversation at a party, like mentioning you're an atheist. Once in a while, you get someone who will agree with you, but often people will shut down, roll their eyes, get defensive. And I will say in fairness to religious folks or, you know, Christians or whatever, I think uh, saying that you're a Christian at the average party might also go over like a lead balloon, you know? Uh, From my personal experience, it seems like the average, you know, just like, I was going to use the word secular, but that has connotations that we might be dealing with people who belong to the atheist or agnostic, uh, skeptic, non-believer community. But when I say secular, I just mean your average person who doesn't maybe think a lot about religion. Maybe at best they're kind of culturally Christian, still wear their confirmation necklace or you know, or something like that. But uh, they just want to go out, have a good time, um, survive the work week. They're not really thinking about the big existential questions or thinking about religion. I think in, in a context where you're at your average party with, you know, surrounded by people like that, if you say you're a Christian, they're probably going to be like, oh, wow. they, they might not say this out loud, but they're going to be like, oh, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, way to bring the, way to bring the party down, you know? Um, and they might look at you like uh, maybe you're not quite firing on all cylinders or whatever. Or as famous internet manatee Brett Keen might say, not firing on all cinder blocks. Um, but if you say you're an atheist, you're kind of, you know, you're Mr. Grinch. You're the guy who enjoys pissing on everyone's parade. Uh, you're the person who's too close-minded. And it's funny, I kind of have an example. I was recently at a party. Yes, the same party in which I kind of got too drunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... And I, at the beginning of the night, before I was totally wasted, I had a, a very nice conversation with my friend's mother. And I really love her parents. Uh, her mother is an author, uh, very intellectual. Her father is a musician. Just a really cool family with talented people in it. And I love talking to her mother. And her mother and I share a lot of the same interest in in literature. And even though I'm a non-believer, I'm still really drawn to a lot of spiritual subject matter. And I'm still interested in a lot of the same things I was interested in as a kid before I completely, you know, let go of religion. And so we were talking about some of our favorite authors. I mean, we were talking about William, William Peter Blatty. 
we're talking about Alan Watts. We're talking about Carlos Castaneda. Uh, we had a, a long conversation about Buddhism and meditation. And yet when I mentioned in passing that, you know, I, I consider myself an agnostic atheist. Uh-oh, that word atheist is in there, man. I could see her kind of shut down and look away a, a little, you know, grow a little disinterested. But when I tried to emphasize the agnostic part that, you know, I don't claim to know for certain or whatever, whether there is or isn't a god. Um, then she kind of returned to the conversation and she was like, so you're an agnostic. And I didn't feel like arguing. So I'm like, yeah, I guess you could say in a sense that uh, you probably technically could consider me an agnostic. And yet at the same time, my worldview could also correctly be characterized as atheistic due to my, you know, my level of doubt uh, and skepticism, etc. But I just want to share that little personal anecdote because I think it illustrates what I was talking about, how many people, I'm not even necessarily talking about religious people, I'm talking about people who are probably left-leaning, who have a very maybe kind of airy-fairy, wishy-washy approach to God. Maybe, you know, they've given up on organized religion, but they still have some kind of amorphous, uh, elastic, you know, sense of a higher power out there. How repelled or repulsed people often act at the men mere mention of the word atheist or atheism. So it really has come to be a very demonized, a very kind of dirty word. And I think that's a shame, and, and uh, I think it's quite unfair. Pretty much an accurate description, and it doesn't carry any of the connotations that you belong to some kind of group or organization. And so there, I think I'm still kind of talking about the fringe benefits of referring to oneself as a non-believer. And this is a point I used to make a lot early on in the show's history, too, that I really wanted to emphasize the importance of truly being a free thinker and being on the lookout for groupthink, even within so-called free thought or atheist communities, in that I had come to be a non-believer by virtue of, on my own, wrestling with the big questions for so long, and not because I thought it would be trendy to join some atheist group and dedicate myself to regurgitating or spouting their talking points or whatever, you know? And I'm kind of split on atheist organizations. On the one hand, I think it's good when people can come together and unify and find strength in numbers, and where social animals with a need to feel connected, a need for communication. And I was just talking about how sometimes, you know, if you're an atheist and you're at your average party, you might feel like you can't really speak openly about your ideas because the average person either has no interest or they're carrying around some kind of misconceptions about what an atheist is and they kind of, you know, shut down or become antagonistic when you merely mention that you're an atheist. So I do think it's good 
to be able to come together with like minds, have people you can commiserate with, share ideas with, find intellectual stimulation with. And I do think it's good to, as atheists, as non-believers, try to fight for inclusion and acceptance and to try to dispel those kind of negative stereotypes and misconceptions that people have about atheists and to try to get across the point that, hey, we're just human beings who value reason and truth and we don't believe because we see a lack of evidence. That all That's all there is to it. We're not Grinches, we're not bogeymen or boogeymen, you know, whatever. And yet on the other side of that same coin, I'm also kind of a loner or a non-joiner in a sense. And I value my critical thinking and my objectivity so much that I am admittedly kind of wary of joining any kind of group or organization, you know? Because sadly, I think groupthink or maybe too much of that my team versus your team mentality can pretty much pop up anywhere in any type of organization. Which I guess brings me to my first topic. I know I'm a little behind the times with this one, but I'll ask that you forgive me since it's taken a while to get this project started. I was watching Bill Maher um, real time with Bill Maher on HBO, as I am wont to do. And this is probably about three weeks ago now. Um, he had Kennedy on. I remember um, growing up watching her, uh, now well into my 30s. Um, she was a VJ on MTV back in the day. And now I believe she's a radio host and she's pretty well known for her libertarian views. And as much as I like her... Wow, this was a long time ago. I definitely wouldn't say that I like Kennedy nowadays. <laughs> she seemed to have grown to be rather right-leaning. And uh, there's just something about her personality or demeanor that gets under my skin. And uh, I, I believe she's a regular on Fox nowadays. She said something... Um during the show that just totally got under my skin. And it's probably a pet peeve for a lot of people who identify as atheists or non-believers. The subject of religion had come up, as it often does on Bill's show. And she had replied to something Bill had said by saying, atheism is a religion too. Oh man, that old chestnut. I hope I do a decent job of refuting her points here because I really don't have the energy to deal with that one right now. I think my jaw dropped a little, but I was thankful that at least um, Bill had the presence of mind to call her comment shallow. Shallow might seem a little harsh, but I actually think it's pretty appropriate because I think her comment shows a fundamental misunderstanding of atheism. And it kind of goes back to what I was just discussing when I was talking about the overlap between atheism and agnosticism. There's this kind of misconception that the atheist believes 100% that there is no God and therefore um, they're a person in a, of faith in a sense because it takes faith 
to believe 100% that something doesn't exist. And I actually used to hold a similar view too back in my earlier, more idealistic days. I used to kind of, even though I had an aversion to labels, I used to kind of pride myself on um, being merely agnostic and at least keeping the door open for the possibility that there might be something more. And so I used to kind of proudly say too that I thought atheism was a religion and I was wisely you know, in the, in the middle in between the fundamental religious person and the kind of bleak, stubborn atheist. And of course, as I got older and um, began to read the works of atheist authors more and, and whatnot, I came to realize just what I talked about earlier, there is that overlap where even the staunchest of atheists, if they're sensible, doesn't claim to know 100% what the ultimate truth of the universe is, whether there is or isn't some sort of higher power out there. Um, So that just drives me crazy when people fall back on that old saw that atheism is a religion too. Yeah, I guess I did an all right job there. Thanks, Phil, from the past. And who knows, maybe it got under Bill's skin a little too, because I think it was the next week where he kind of uh, referred to it um, during his new rules segment. And he actually had a pretty funny remark where I'm, I'm paraphrasing, where he said that saying that atheism was a religion was like saying abstinence was a sexual position. And as funny as it is, I think it's also pretty accurate because atheism is pretty much the absence of religion, not a religion in and of itself. I remember that I mentioned in passing that I would talk about the development of my beliefs a little. And uh, as you could probably guess from my Italian surname, I was raised Catholic. Uh, we were fairly observant, but I think like a lot of families, it started out church every Sunday. Then it kind of devolved to church just on the holidays. And then um, pretty much church, not at all. But I did go to Sunday school, CCD, um, First Communion, Confirmation, that sort of thing. I think even at an early age, I was pretty intellectually curious in regards to life's big questions. And I think like all children or most children, I had that moment, that kind of loss of innocence, that moment when you're confronted that with the fact that no, Virginia, there isn't a Santa Claus or Easter Bunny or etc. I remember kind of working from there and thinking, well, adults have a similar way of talking about God and Jesus as they do when talking about those assorted mythical holiday figures. Somewhere in my youth, I developed a avid interest in mythology, and that kind of blossomed into an interest in world history, world religion, I think once you start really studying those things, you begin to see the 
parallels between the belief system you've been indoctrinated into in those dead ones we call mythologies or the study of world history or a world religion can show you how belief systems evolve out of other belief systems um you begin to notice things like the contradictions um within religious texts for instance, if we look at the Old Testament, um, we have things like doublets, which are... Well, I've mentioned doublets so many times on the show. In episode one, already at it. More than one account of the same story, uh, especially in the book of Genesis, um, with little differences in details, uh, the amount of animals brought aboard the ark, that sort of thing. If you move to the New Testament, you have things like the discrepancy between the Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John, where John has um, Christ actually dying on a different day than in the Synoptics, most likely as a kind of literary device so that um, Christ could be depicted in his account as the Paschal Lamb, as an actual uh, Passover sacrifice. And if um, you know your Mesopotamian mythology, you start to notice kind of weird parallels. Um, for instance, um, a lot of you probably have heard of the Epic of Gilgamesh and the flood story contained therein and how closely it parallels um, the Noah flood story in the Old Testament. And I should say... Um, despite the fact that I'm a non-believer, and this will probably come up a lot in the uh, series, I absolutely love the holidays, and I think those of us who are raised Catholic or Christian in general, we just take, when we're young, we take the holidays for granted, as, as if they've always been Christian holidays. Um, we just take them at face value. But as you study world history and the history of religion, you learn the weird little... Uh, very interesting facts um, about how Christian holidays were grafted on top of pre-existing pagan traditions or combined with them. And we end up with um, things like the birth of Christ being celebrated on the 25th of December, which had already been a celebration time for the uh, the god Mithra or Mithras. And... Um, there's the Norse pagan traditions uh, of dragging an evergreen in and burning Yule logs and things like that. The Catholic All Saints Day, All Hallows Eve being grafted on top of um, the Celtic uh, New Year Samhain and henceforth becoming Halloween. I think... All those little things just kept drawing my attention more and more to the possibility or fact that religions are man-made and that there isn't um, seemingly a heck of a lot of evidence to back up religion's supernatural claims. And I think I also noticed that a lot of people kind of employed that cafeteria Catholic approach where because of the um, progress, ever continuing progress of science. Um, religion is forced to come to loggerheads with science and 
give way in some areas to reasonable people, at least, uh, to scientific fact. For instance, we know that evolution is a fact. It's called the theory of evolution, but I think uh, most scientists would agree it's a fact. We have the fossil record and um, DNA evidence. Um, We can see genetically how species are related to other species. Some people would say, all right, yeah, I I admit, um, I I think um, the story of Adam and Eve is just a parable. We know about human evolution, so no one magically plopped down um, two perfect uh, human specimens, a male and a female, and yet they'll still believe in the resurrection. Um, I think it was Richard Dawkins one time who made a pretty valid and somewhat disturbing point how the death and resurrection of Christ was in part at least supposed to be to save man from original sin, to redeem man from the fall um, in the garden. But if you believe that the tale of the garden is a parable, then that kind of knocks out the foundation of the purpose of of the death and resurrection of Christ. And I think just things like that, um, just noticing the man-made nature of religion eroded uh, away over time at my faith. I should point out, um, I don't think it was ever the case that I wanted to be a non-believer. I think that's a common misconception uh, about atheists. I I actually think becoming a non-believer at least in my case, was a rather painful experience. It can be pretty harsh to feel that the existential carpet, so to speak, has been pulled out from under you to have to face the fact that um, the meaning of life, the whole supernatural cosmology that you've been taught um, may be completely man-made in a sense that you're on your own to try to figure out what it's all about and um, what's true and what isn't. I think I actually wanted to believe, was even desperate to believe, but my reason just led me elsewhere. Um, For a while I found solace in Eastern religion. Um, Since I had lost faith in the idea of a personal god, of a uh, sentient creator. There was some comfort in um, that Eastern concept of God, where not really the personal God, but that totality of the universe, that oneness of all being. And I think it might have been Pope uh, John Paul once who described Buddhism as a kind of... um, maybe a, a, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, I might be completely wrong, but a, a romanticized atheism. Uh, I believe he did call it a kind of atheism. And I think that's true in a way. I think I almost looked at Eastern um, philosophy and religion as kind of training wheels for atheism or agnosticism because there is that big difference between Western and Eastern spirituality where in the West, we have that desire to believe that our self is eternal and that there is this patriarchal, um, personal creator. Where in the East, especially in Buddhism, 
um, the focus has moved away from the self. And in fact, in Buddhism, we have the term nirvana, meaning uh, something along the lines of the extinguishing of the flame or the extinguishing of the self, where reincarnation even is a kind of punishment and the ultimate goal is to attain that selfless oneness and break that cycle of um, birth and death. Then even um, that after a while seemed kind of romanticized to me. And even though I still love that concept of cosmic oneness, what does it really mean empirically? And uh, I think luckily the human psyche, like the human body, is relatively resilient. And I've actually reached a point in my life where the idea that I may not be eternal, the idea that there may not be a creator out there doesn't seem so scary or painful anymore. And um, I don't want to drone on too long because I want to do a whole episode at one point on how even being a non-believer, you can still live a very rich and fulfilling life and even experience what, for lack of a better word, you may, might consider spiritual experiences, um, the transcendent, the numinous, as Christopher Hitchens used to like to call it. I wanted to quickly cover um, a couple other recent stories. There's one um, that you may already have heard of, uh, of Miley Cyrus actually quoting Lawrence Krauss, as uh, surreal as that seems. She had tweeted out one of his quotes, and I'm paraphrasing yet again. The basic gist was he was talking about how we're basically all made of stardust, and it was stars rather than Jesus that died so we could live. Um, I actually thought I can understand why people of faith would be offended by actually thought it was pretty cool that um, a young person in the public eye seem to at least in passing take an interest in science and uh, take a moment to uh, tweet something that heady. And I think she may even have gotten death threats, which doesn't seem very Christian. So, um, yeah, people should probably not do that. <laughs> and uh, there's one other story you may have heard of where Kirk Cameron, I actually saw this, he was on um, Piers Morgan Tonight, and Piers Morgan had asked him about his beliefs on homosexuality, and he basically said that it was unnatural and it was a danger to the um, foundations of civilization, etc. And that brought to mind this concept that I have. Um, I'm sure other thinkers have probably long beaten me to it, but in my own head, I draw this kind of dichotomy between um, what I consider a kind of universal human morality and then kind of religious or dogmatic morality. I think universal morality, whether or not it's truly universal, I don't know, but I hope so. Universal morality to me would be most of us would agree that rape, murder, theft, breaking into a, um, a person's home, um, child abuse, uh, these things are all wrong because they violate our fellow human beings. And hopefully we understand in our core whether uh, we're religious or not that those things are bad. And then I um, think of religious morality as those weird 
prohibitions, things that we're not violating another person but still are forbidden to do because of kind of obscure religious reasons like um, having to eat fish on certain Fridays or not being able to pick up sticks on Saturdays or, um, you know, prohibitions about uh, what gender you have to lie with. Uh, being a straight guy, I feel like I don't have much of a dog in this fight other than I think it's wrong for other people to tell consenting adults um, what gender uh, of person they uh, can or cannot lie with. And I really think um, a kind of homophobia on a religious basis is a good example of that kind of strange religious dogmatic morality um, where no one's really being hurt by it. It's between consenting adults, but because there's a few passages um, about it in your particular religious text, um, you believe that it's a horrible sin. And I think it was Cenk Uger um, on the Young Turks. I'm a big fan of the Young Turks. Wow. Okay, so once again, this really was a long time ago. So that's kind of changed too. Actually, recently, like over the past couple of months, I started watching the Young Turks a bit again and listening to their uh, podcast. But yeah, I, I kind of became disillusioned with them around the time of the whole uh, Sam Harris versus Jenk thing, and where I thought they were taking a very kind of unbalanced approach to stories having to do with Islam. And I felt like Jenk and some of the other hosts were way too quick to cry Islamophobia at times. And they, they seemed to... Although, in fairness, sometimes Jenk would talk about his own deconversion from Islam and how he didn't believe in the faith claims of Islam. He thought some of the stuff in the book was barbaric, etc. But still, by and large, they seem to have been handling stories having to do with Islam with kid gloves in comparison to the way they'd kind of take the gloves off when dealing with... Uh, Christianity, uh, crazy right-wing pastors and politicians, etc. Who had actually brought up a good point that shellfish is also um, prohibited in the Bible. Yet people seem to get far more worked up about um, things of a sexual nature. Um, I, don't know, I guess people just get more worked up about sex than they do about crustaceans and bivalves. So, food for thought. And I think that's it for the inaugural episode. So thank you for listening, and hopefully I'll be back soon. Oh, I was back. I was back over 300 times. But but there it is, the inaugural episode. And I, I still, I don't think I could emulate that soft, airy voice now if I wanted to. Oh my God. But thanks for listening, guys. And uh, not to get all sentimental, but I'm imagining that some of you may have been uh, along with me from the very beginning. And, and that actually, I do find that very moving. And I hope you remain with me uh, indefinitely. I'll probably do at least another 300 episodes. Um, 
So, all right. So this has been episode 300. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. Please, uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. Please check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, the best way is to go to patreon.com slash the weekend out. And you can help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. And you get access to all sorts of bonus content, the not so secret show, my little Lovecraft readings, etc. Okay, later. Because I'm feeling lazy, I'm just going to borrow the outro music from the very first episode. Mm-hmm.